0: Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by, uh, I don't know, uh, me, I guess. It doesn't really cost much. And from viewers like you. Thank you. My free time. That's what funds (laughs) us. Welcome to the Elwood City Limits Podcast. My name's Will Young, and we are back at it for another round of episodes, another doubleheader of the famous 1990s to present television series for children. That would be Arthur. Uh, Again, my name is Will Young, and uh, with me as always, my uh, amigo. That would be Lucas Mancini. Hello! Uh, So, Lucas... I mean, we're here for another uh, doubleheader. As I say, it's DW's imaginary friend and Arthur's lost library book.
1: I just wanted to get, before we get into this episode, I wanted to mention last episode, I said I'd do some homework and try to see if I could pinpoint from the clues we have where Elwood City is supposed to be basically a... Uh, facsimile of.
0: That's interesting because I did a bit of homework as well, but I'll let you go first because this one has been uh, interesting me since I edited the last episode.
1: So the author of Arthur, Um, uh, his name Mark Brown. Mark Brown, he he grew up in Pennsylvania. Yes. Okay, so
0: that's my homework done. Yes. Uh, Thanks a lot, nerd. It seems
1: like, well, I I use Wikipedia as well, Mm. and it seems like uh, it probably- is Pittsburgh, because the town Mark uh, Brown grew up in and seems a little bit smaller than what Elwood City would be. So I assume the closest big town would be Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Sure. Uh, and I have some buddies that live in Pittsburgh, um, and they seem, it seems to be that sort of American Midwest, East Coast kind of town. Which uh, Because we know Arthur has to be on the East Coast because yeah. they have winter. Okay. Uh, so it seems— I was, a, there,
0: I was there recently. They did have a, a very cold winter.
1: It seems like a good approximation as any. That's not a bad
0: idea, actually. I think that you might be onto something there. Uh, Elwood City, Pennsylvania, I could see that happening, except no regional accents, but uh, it's it's a creative decision, so I like that. It's very interesting. Do you have any idea where Elwood City may be in the continental United States? Well, then you should give us an email. The email, elwoodcitypodcast at gmail.com. By the way, thank you very much for listening wherever you may be listening on. And we are getting ready. And again, Elwood City Podcast at gmail.com. We would love your feedback on anything that we talk about or anything you can think of. Okay, so we are starting off today with DW's Imaginary Friend uh, with another, uh, another debut. So, of course, have to start it off right at the beginning. Uh, cauliflower in your spaghetti. I'm against it. No, yeah. I'm very against it.
1: Uh, I'm sure if you were the right kind of chef, maybe Mm. a Gordon Ramsay, a Guy Fieri perhaps, you'd be able to garnish your spaghetti with cauliflower properly. Yeah. But unless I'm working with that top level (laughs) of culinary expertise, I'm not going to be throwing any uh, 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 cauliflower in spaghetti anytime soon. It sounds really gross. And I'm Italian, right? So I'm a little bit of a snob when it comes to spaghetti. I never order spaghetti at a restaurant. Uh, And I I never, ever do it because I'm so used to my nonna's spaghetti, which and once you have the best, you can't go back. See,
0: I'm glad that you said that because I didn't want to assume, (laughs) ascribe anything to your family or your lineage. But now that you say you're your nonna. Yes. Right. So I'm guessing that must be the best spaghetti I've never eaten and never will. Um, well, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe probably this... makes probably makes my Polish mother sound taste like a pile of puke. Oh, I'm sure your Polish mother could make some great. She makes some great meatballs. Meatballs. Okay, I I don't know what a
1: a Polish delicacy is besides their weird Pero- energy per- drinks. Parogies,
0: son. Pierogies, cabbage rolls, pierogies,
1: and Mike Tyson no. Black, whatever, whatever that it's that Polish energy drink. Mike Tyson Black, that's uh, that's the two Polish delicacies. Oh, oh.
0: okay, all right. I've only vaguely aware of that, but my goodness, Poland, what are you doing? All right, so we start off with a comedy of errors, and no, I'm not talking about the cauliflower and the spaghetti. It's uh, the family, the family reads sitting down for their spaghetti dinner, and uh, then uh, DW is. Uh, talking to her imaginary friend, Nadine. Uh, so who just to be clear, this episode.
1: Uh, because I'll have to correct myself over and over again if I don't clear this up right away, it's Nadine as
0: in N, right? Or is it may It's Nadine, N-A-D-I-N-E. Okay. So it's Nadine, and, you know, Arthur's dad comes into the kitchen. She says, Dad, you're on her tail. And then they all just go, whoa, the whole The whole Jenga tower comes toppling down and then we get a little bit more of that magic realism we talked about in the last episode where DW throws her spaghetti bowl. It arcs and it stops right over Arthur's head as he begins his monologue about uh, DW's uh, position as a little sister. It's not quite, but
1: it's close to the classic cold open of "How did I end up here?" You know the. So, the, you're,
0: so you're saying that this is as close as the opening to Fight Club as Arthur's going to get.
1: I wouldn't quite say that. he has got a maybe... gun
0: in Arthur's mouth. How did I end up here?
1: But uh, yeah, there's this great shot of first it during this whole whoa that Arthur drum fill is playing that dr- jazz drum fill. Whoa! that's like, it's the wacky music. Yes. And then the... And the spaghetti pauses right over Arthur's head and mm-hmm. he sort of looks into the screen expressionless. Uh, I could, I guess if you could give him an expression, it's unimpressed, but not frightened or concerned with the spaghetti so much. Just look at the screen and it's al- I almost
0: expected him to go, how did I end up here? So Arthur relates, of course, that having a little sister isn't all it's cracked up to be. And one of the transgressions DW commits against him apparently regularly is letting people into his room <laughs> which is all kinds of messed up, man. <laughs> like she brings her friends into his room with like p- with like a camera and like reveals his innermost secrets and treasures. Like that is wrong. He I can't believe he's not more angry. What I Butters. love about it, though,
1: is DW's academic approach to the whole thing. It's almost like she's giving someone a tour of Alcatraz. She mm-hmm. goes, oh, yes, here's the teddy bear that Arthur sleeps with. It's like Arthur's this long, dead, historical figure, <laughs> and she's giving everybody a tour. Like, an,
0: Yeah. No. Like, yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Like Edgar Allan, Allan Poe's house. <laughs> Arthur then caps it off with, and now she's got an imaginary friend, and it's even worse. And <laughs> the spaghetti drops onto his head, implying that Nadine was holding it up there until she could take it no more. So we get into the episode after the title card. Now, Nadine's animal. So, of course, everybody in, this, in Arthur, hello, if you're not watching, is an animal. By the way, uh, I should mention that um, Arthur is... Fairly easy to find uh, through YouTube and or Daily Motion, or just a just a plain Google search if you put in the episode. Um, I will start looking for a legal way of watching them. I would, if there is a way to do it, I would like to 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 know. But we live in Canada, so sometimes that can be a little bit. Uh, uh, not not feasible or just not possible. So we will continue to look for that. But of course, these episodes are available uh, online by which by whatever means necessary. Anyway, Nadine's animal. What kind of animal do you think she is? You know, I really don't know. Possibly a beaver. She does
1: kind of. And no offense to Nadine, but she does kind of have those buck teeth. That's true. Uh, some sort of but chipmunk does, but or she, beater, But she definitely a
0: rodent. She doesn't have the tail. Like she has a long tail which is kind of, I, I was thinking like monkey, sort of.
1: Really? But, I, but that is usually when Arthur is kind of, sometimes Arthur gets non nonspecific with the character designs, yeah. and it's kind of left to the imagination what kind of animal this mm-hmm. is. Really, when you look at Arthur, he doesn't look anything like an aardvark. Certainly, we only know that not. because he's constantly referred to as an aardvark. aardvark. So um, it's kind of hard to suss out, and I think that's it's meant to be... Um, Non-specific on purpose mm. because she's this magical figure.
0: Yeah, and I th- yeah, you're right. They can kind of get away with that because she's imaginary, so she can be kind of whatever she wants to be. Uh,
1: I also really like, just in general, her character design, the way she's dressed. Okay. A lot of the characters in the Arthur universe, to contrast with the fact that they're all animals, that they're dressed in very regular clothing. Mm. Everybody's got an Oxford button-down tucked into a sweater, or yeah. everybody's dressed very normal. Uh, But Nadine sort of has this fanciful look where she's got this weird top knot, very Cindy Lou Who-esque, and she's wearing kind of this blue dress that none of the other, and it's really droopy too, it's long, Mm. almost like a cloak. Uh, so she, I really like her character design because when you see a scene, you can immediately tell that Nadine is the magical one or yeah. the the not
0: real one. I guess it's left to the imagination. Because she's, she's a little bit left of center with mm-hmm. her. Okay, that's a good way of looking at it. I actually never thought about it that way. So Nadine is worried that Arthur doesn't like her and DW reassures her that he really, really likes you. In fact, I gave him a picture of you to hang on his wall. Cut to the immediate next next scene. Arthur's in the bathroom with spaghetti in his hair, and he just rips that thing in two. That is some cold, you know what, man? That is cold, ice cold. It's almost as if
1: Arthur is transported back into the film Memento, and under the picture of Nadine was "Do not trust her lies," and he rips it in half. <laughs> it was. It, it is like. It's some great visual storytelling there where Arthur could have, if the writers wanted to be lazy, turn to the screen and go, I really dislike Nadine, but we sure. get this awesome visual image of him ripping the picture of her. Yeah, it is,
0: it is really cold. And this kind of starts a little bit of an underlying theme of this episode. We will see DW and Arthur in every single type of uh, brother-sister relationship that there is. And this one is kind of her implicitly looking for Arthur's Attention, but also approval, you know, because and that's uh, and, you know, as a younger sibling to an older sibling myself, uh, you know, you kind of do go for that, perhaps even unconsciously, depending on what your relationship is, uh, that you look towards your older sibling, you emulate them in a way and you want them to kind of approve of the things that you like, which doesn't always happen, especially here. But you can see a lot of DW's actions, uh, especially where Nadine is concerned, is kind of informed by that feeling in this episode. So Arthur's cleaning up in the bathroom, uh, getting the spaghetti, the cauliflower out of his ears, and then all of a sudden, like, the phone rings. It rings once, and he is out the door. He is ready for that phone call. And I'm like, well, what well, what could this be? Like, what is he waiting for? And he, he answers the phone, and it's Buster, and he was waiting for Buster's call to tell him when a commercial was coming on. Now... Did you ever phone a friend to, to tell them that something was on TV before?
1: I I must have. I actually vaguely remember doing such a thing, but what it could have been, I'm not sure. Uh it must have been something like something was coming to It would the only situation where this would make sense would be if something was coming to town, like I don't know, the Wiggles live or or, or wrestling or there or, or I think like Monster Jam or something would be the closest thing or a movie that I wanted to see. Have you ever to been see. to Monster Jam? I have been to Monster Ooh,
0: Jam. Grave Digger think... himself was there. No way. Yeah, you missed pretty... out on Bigfoot when he
1: was. That's here. true. No Bigfoot. That was before my time, yeah. but I did get to see, in my personal opinion, the greatest of all time, Grave Digger.
0: Well,
1: uh, unless you count the NWO Hulk Hogan monster truck, which is also very <laughs> good. Or the, or the good. Giants or monster the giant. truck. <laughs> uh, back on track, though, I think that's the only time that makes sense, As especially pre-internet. If like a show was coming to town, Disney on Ice, something like that, you would tell your parents from the ad like immediately. You'd be like, oh, I want to go to that. Or if you had a friend that you would bring to such a thing, you would call them if there was like a toy or anything else advertised on tv i can't see myself calling
0: a friend over it the only time that i can remember calling a friend over tv was when i called my friend jocelyn to inform her whenever digimon would go back into repeats <laughs> just to let her just to let her know not to waste her time because we'd be waiting we- because we'd be waiting week after week, and then it would just cycle back into repeats, and we'd be like, well, I don't want to watch this. I've seen this before.
1: See, I had to carry the burden by myself when it was, oh, no, there's no more new episodes of Transformers Armada. I just have to watch this again, I guess. Uh, that yeah. was, what, that uh, was a
0: burden I carried. You shouldered it. My goodness. So Buster alerts him to the commercial for the all new Hurlaworld. Roller coaster that is at um, whatever amusement park that was. Did they? Did, I'm sorry. Did they? They said
1: the, it a bunch. And did, I, did, I they
0: we're, did they say? Did they say where the because I, I only remember the Hurl Whirl. Oh, was it? Was it Wonder
1: World? I, I, it sounds Gosh. like something. World. I mean,
0: I mean, it's not like we have an entire podcast based on <laughs> dissecting an episode, basically minute by minute. So you'd think I—I I don't think I need to know that. I don't know any name they could
1: have given. The uh, amusement park was wiped from my brain because of just a feeling of disgust, utter horror and disgust I would get whenever they described this hurl world is mm. that what it was oh, the because Arthur it's becomes evident very early on, especially in the advertising of this ride yes. and Buster and Arthur's reaction to the advertising that they have this weird and I've gonna I'm gonna use this describing word again even though I've said it before on this show Cronenbergian esque obsession with vomit well, it, in it, relation to the ride. It pride. leads to
0: perhaps my favorite shot of the episode, which is Arthur in front of the glow of the TV. You know, the commercial says, you pick the speed on the all-new Hurl-a-whirl. motion sickness bags provided, cut back to Arthur, and he is mesmerized by the TV, and he just goes,
1: barf bags.
0: Barf bags. And it is chilling.
1: We get lines like, barf bags, and then DW says, I want a barf bag. I want a barf bag too, and uh, yeah, barf bags are provided. So actually, I might not have been DW who said that. I'm not sure. No, no, she, no, she, 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 she didn't say that. Yeah, but it's just it's so weird because I'm not even sure what the writers are trying to get across with this. Like, I get that they like that the ride's really scary, mm. but this obsession because it comes back again and again and again. This episode, the thing they're most excited about isn't the the act of riding the ride itself. It's it's the The bag full of vomit. Barf bags. Barf bags. Barf bags. Barf bags. Barf bags. It's so strange. They're obsessed with this bag of puke.
0: It seems to be symbolic of the thrill that they're going to receive by being on the Hurl-A-Whirl in that it's like so it's so metal, it's so extreme that they're going to throw up. Which to a to a to a young boy to me it never appealed to me. But to a certain set of young boys I remember those those sets of books that are Ugh, they make they disgust me even now. It's like they were called like barf orama or something. I have no idea what you And it's like about. you could get them through the scholastic book order and it was just like, Oh, okay. This one's got like a baby's crappy diaper on the, <laughs> on the, Or this guy's puking. Or like, look at all this snot. And it's like, you know, boys liking gross things. I never really did. And I thought, those, ugh. Like, it is a very... I'm, like, oh, I'm getting sick right now. Just think about <laughs> it's
1: it. It's a very specific type of juvenile humor. Absolutely. Like, like Boogerman for the Genesis. Yeah. Either, yeah. There's uh, Or the... Garbage pail, kids. Don't even, don't even. <laughs> speaking, speaking of
0: getting sick, we're, but mov- anyway, we're moving on.
1: Keep keep their obsession with bark bags in mind because it's going to come back again later, and I want to ha- talk about the point you made a little for- bit more. I haven't
0: forgot it for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur manages to convince his, convince his dad to let him and D.W. go, who is interested in going because she wants a bark bag too, of course. His
1: dad says, no more monkey business, which I wrote again. Right,
0: he's, right he says that when uh, D.W. – apologizes or na- apologizes for Nadine for um mm-hmm. for uh, dropping her spaghetti.
1: And in the context of the Arthur universe, once again, racist. That's mm. a racist thing I to say. I thought about that too and
0: I was wondering whether to bring it up. There was
1: monkeys living in Elwood City hand in hand with these aardvarks and for Arthur's dad to <laughs> uh uh say oh being like a monkey is to be something lesser or to be something it, it's just there's some the writers should have thought about that a little bit longer
0: maybe maybe no more tomfoolery they didn't expect he could have said they didn't expect two white boys to bring <laughs> racism into the arthur discussion here in 2016 dad agrees and dw asked nadine too and he says sure and then that that just halts arthur right in his tracks from jumping for joy uh then we cut over to the cafeteria, which I will just quickly note, the guy who is in the ad for the hurl World is also doubling as the kid eating the sandwich in the foreground as they cut over to Buster and Arthur. A so. local celebrity, yeah, I guess so. Uh, then Buster says, "Nadine, oh, she'll wreck everything," and I'm just like, "How?" Like <laughs> a common theme will be like obviously kids blowing things out of proportion, which they totally do, and I totally have. But like looking at it as an adult, just like. What's the harm? Like, it's not really going to do anything to your good time, you know? It's
1: one of the reasons I find myself hard relating to Arthur as a character, particularly. Well, to be
0: fair, Buster said that.
1: Buster does say that, but it plays into Arthur's anxieties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later because they explicitly more—they uh, say more explicitly why Arthur would be uncomfortable mm. with Nadine's presence. Yeah. Uh, but the things that Arthur worries about are not the same things I worry about no, in my life.
0: No, really not. I also
1: want to say during this conversation, so they're getting lunch, they're at the in the cafeteria. Arthur makes a horrible, horrible
0: cafeteria trade. Uh, I was just about to get into that. The, there are two bad trades at work here. This is a this is of a, a, a bonehead <laughs> quality. So it's but this this is the worst one because we actually see it go down. <laughs> we see the diamond heist go down on Arthur's watch because. <laughs> Buster says, do you want that cherry cobbler? I'll trade you half a tuna sandwich and he does it like a rube. Insane to me. And I, I at first I was like shocked. I was like, Arthur, no! Not the cherry cobbler! Well, it's like not uh, even a whole tuna sandwich. A half a one. I like tuna. I eat tuna sandwiches practically every week, but it's a dessert for a meal and not even a good one. It's like, there is so much wrong with this, we could start a sister podcast, Arthur Trading Insiders. So, I initially Copyright. agreed with you,
1: but then I thought too, I have a cousin who his dad's the head chef at White Point Beach Lodge. Ooh. So, and when I was which on is, one which,
0: of my- Which we'll explain is a- uh, is a, resor- right. is a resort lodge that is close by, very highly regarded in the eastern part of the, this country.
1: Where we live. Yes. Uh, but uh, it got me thinking, too. I lived with them for a month once when I was on an internship. Ooh. And uh, mm. I was telling my parents, I was like, oh, I'm going to eat so well, man. He's a head chef. He's going to be cooking every night. My parents <laughs> say, hey, lower your expectations. I don't think that's good. to be true. Good thinking. Good he- thinking. They were wrong. I ate amazing yep. every night. I was like, Oh, my God. This is such good food.
0: I couldn't believe it. And, and 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 is your friend like totally immune to it by now? Just like So my
1: cousin, yeah, my cousin, or your cousin who, who is used to eating like that, he doesn't care. In fact, he's pretty picky. He wasn't eating most of the stuff they put on the table. He'd prefer, you know, something simple, a little bit more uh, – uh, like less put together and so it got it this whole scenario that plays out got me thinking because arthur's dad's a chef right yes he's probably used to eating cherry cobblers all the time so to him it probably wasn't that big of a deal well, uh, and
0: isn't that the the ultimate punishment for somebody who <laughs> makes their living in the culinary arts is to have a picky eater as one of as their kid, a because picky the, eater who doesn't appreciate what? Because they have. because later in the series we get an episode that's literally called "DW the Picky Eater," and Arthur's dad must just be like crying himself to sleep of this. They don't they don't appreciate what I do. <laughs> so they take advantage of his 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 cookery a few times. Anyway, I'm glad we both saw this. Uh, we'll interrupt trade dispute. Uh, because because we go into Arthur's imagination, as you mentioned, why are we worrying about this? Because Arthur is imagining that he and DW go on a scary ride, and she's like, Arthur and scared, stop the ride, and then like a screw flies loose of their thing, <laughs> the thing that they're on, and then it just fly, flings the whole thing into chaos, and then of course Muffy and Francine are behind them and make the most. Baseless logical leap (laughs) that can only happen in the mind of an eight year old. And it is just, it's just like, who's she talking to? I don't see anybody. And then Francine says, pretend friends. What babies? (laughs) Arthur's a baby. And then it's just like, but he didn't say, that's his four year old. Oh, you don't even exist. You're, this is uh, like this isn't real. This is completely ridiculous. We haven't gotten a Muffy centric episode yet, but mm-hmm. every time Muffy
1: has opened her mouth in these past few episodes, it's been pure gold. The art, uh, Muffy is one of those characters where you look at her once and you kind of see the whole shtick. Yeah, yeah, you get uh, the, you, you see the gimmick, and so the writers have fun with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in pretty much every episode so far, they've had Muffy spout some awful, horrible thing. Uh, yes, Arthur's uh, pretend people for babies. I think if there's anything to be scared of in this nightmare scenario, it's the fact of if this roller coaster stops, it immediately breaks. Yeah. Everything comes like, it probably didn't pass proper roller coaster safety inspection.
0: It's not much of a roller coaster. It's more of like a haunted house ride through, but it's still pretty cheap looking. Still,
1: if everything's going to fall apart, if it breaks once, that's something to look at if it's up to building code and all that. But, yeah, yeah like I was saying earlier, it's hard for me to feel for Arthur, Arthur in this scenario Arthur. because two things. One, I never had an imaginary friend. Okay. If I ever uh, – I Oh, really? Interesting. Well, let's talk about that for a second. If I was ever saying I had an imaginary friend as a kid, I'll tell you honestly now as an adult, I was just imitating people on TV. Okay. People on TV and often kids' shows always had imaginary friends. And I said, oh, maybe that's something I should say I do because that's what people on TV did. Uh, But personally, I never believed there was another invisible person. Mm. I would only – you know say that to adults cuz i thought that's what kids were supposed to do sure
0: uh i was i was a f- couple of years older than dw when i had mine and it was just basically like i would I mean, I still do. I just, like, talk to myself all the time. Like, when I didn't have friends around me, I, like, would just entertain myself by talking to myself. And then sometimes I would just be like, oh, my invisible friend, Justin. You know what? I didn't, like, I didn't have my whole heart in it because I was so comfortable talking to myself that I didn't need an invisible friend. But his name is Justin because that was the name of the the kid Power Ranger from Power Rangers Turbo. Okay. Well, I actually really liked when I was a kid. Is that the
1: race car one? Uh, yeah, that's okay. the race car one,
0: and uh, that uh, the kid was the one that everybody hated. but he, he worked for me, which who uh, I was a target demographic at the time. so but as I was saying, yeah. so
1: Arthur's anxieties, the main thing, and this has happened in a couple episodes now, Arthur cares deeply about how the other kids perceive him yeah that, that, as in the first episode that's the main issue is mm. Francine is gonna bully him because he wears glasses and so
0: and he immediately bends to the pressure mm-hmm.
1: and uh, again this speaks more about my personal experiences. But especially as an adult, it's just something where I can see how as a kid it's like the end of the world, what you wear, uh, how all the other kids perceive you. Because that's really – you don't have to pay taxes. (laughs) That's really the biggest problem in your life. You don't have much to worry about. So you
0: kind of invent stuff too, which Uh, – or at
1: least in some cases you do. But – i don 't know it just seems like Arthur really comes off as the bad guy in this episode, yeah, and I think there 's a little bit of he 's supposed to uh the goal, but again but, but i didn 't have an imaginary friend, so I also think d w's being sort of ridiculous, but the as episode
0: well. is centered around Arthur, so it 's kind of not really laid out clearly enough, and mm-hmm. anyway we 'll get to that kind of uh, at the end of the at the end of this arthur 's resolve to stop nadine from coming we get the second bad trade which to be fair is never really confirmed and is also just kind of baffling prunella is sitting next to them who hasn't really been introduced as a character yet so buster says you like reading right i'll trade you my library card for half that piece of cake which okay i didn't pick up on this let's break this down (laughs) buster okay is so desperate for sugar any sugar he can find he doesn't say the piece of cake he wants half the piece of cake for a library card which I remind you Lucas library cards are free and Buster needs them to borrow books which he will do in the next episode for a half a slice of cake also his library card has his name on it and Prunella can't use it because she presumably has her own library card it's not like if you have two you can get double the
1: books or something. Even if she didn't have her library card, she still wouldn't be able to use Buster's because it's a piece of his identification. Right! It makes me wonder how desperate Buster could conceivably get. Like, how long do we leave Buster without food before he starts to chew off his own arm? You know what I mean? Because if he's willing to trade... A library card for half a piece of cake. Yeah. When is he gonna, you know, rat out Arthur to the teachers over something? Like I feel well, like. Well, to if be you... fair,
0: Arthur got him first. Check <laughs> check our last episode, Buster's uh, uh, Dino Dilemma.
1: If you have food, you can really like control Buster in some terrible ways. If you want Buster to take out a hit on somebody, it's like, hey, Buster, I got this gift card at the Golden Corral. <laughs> I need you to do some dirt for me, Buster. I feel like would be convinced in a second. He's like, yeah. all right, I'm
0: in. It's uh, it shows a distinct lack of respect for himself. <laughs> <laughs> and which, which, which kind of leads into my next point, which is, uh, so they determine that in order to get DW to not go, they have to put her through the ringer of schoolyard tests. They have to test her metal if she can survive on the Hurler World, which, of course, with the intention that she will sink under the pressure. So the first thing they do is they get her in one of those like carousels on the on the playground, and so they, she, you know, she has her little aviator cap and goggles on. She's ready to go. She wants to do this, and so they start spinning her around, and you know, they're running as fast as they can. In a circle, Arthur's like, I think it's working, and then Buster just keels over because he can't take it. Buster is soft, man. We <laughs> talked, about, I talked about this in the last episode. Buster is soft; he's cracking under the pressure. We're talking about Arthur cracking under societal pressure. Buster can't handle quarter of a g-force; like
1: it's he maybe- can't handle.
0: Man. I mean Buster. We haven't
1: his stomach was very full at that point. Very full. And whose fault is that? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I'm not saying your point isn't valid. Uh Buster this really is he the did, Buster he, Bed he, ma- he the did bed have Buster made. He did made. have
0: a cafeteria tray full of desserts, but I don't think that the correlation was really made clear enough of just like bust this is happening to buster because he's full no it's, it, it just looks like it happened to because he's an idiot
1: <laughs> I, I think it's a little bit of column a a little bit of column b there
0: so the next thing is that dw has to go down the slide a hundred times and you know she's like it's like uh, it's like i did 60 so now i have only have 40 left which is like oh so dw can count to 100 but she can't read Okay. She I, also I,
1: knows some pretty big words for someone who can't read. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: DW kind of does whatever she Going wants.
1: down the slide a hundred times, I think far less difficult than the previous task. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Anybody will get motion sick if you go on one of those things long enough that they're spinning you around. Like, I've done the thing where – I've done that, and I get motion sick really easily, so I almost okay. vomited. But Going down the slide is ain't that ain't no thing.
0: It's just it's just more tedious than whether it's a hundred
1: times or a thousand times. Yeah,
0: it's really easy. In fact,
1: the longer you do it, I guess this is their whole mentality is the less difficult it gets. You're like, oh, I'm down the slide again, we. But mm-hmm. like, not much of a test.
0: Of course, Buster is still reeling from <laughs> ten minutes ago. And then the final one is DW hanging upside down, which uh, you know she's not getting sick or anything, but uh, then uh, she just knows that buster's mother worries so of course him being the soft softy the he runs off home so dw did in fairness passed all of the test to go on the hurley whirl the twirly whirl she calls it at first uh you know arthur corrects her and says it's the hurley whirl dw and she's like i can and i am going on the hurley whirl and it's just like obviously struggling with it a little bit. DW says, "Hope there she says, hope there's paschetti tonight because, you know, oh, ain't that cute." Nadine's hungry and I and which immediately made me think of the Simpsons. I don't like the idea of Nadine getting two spaghetti dinners in two nights. Arthur is defeated momentarily and is kind of convening with Buster to see what they can do. Buster says, "There's only one thing left, you've got to pretend to be sick." And then Arthur gets a brain blast. He was like, "That's it." And then, of course, Buster's like, everybody will think you're scared of the Hurl World. And he says, not me. So, of course, this leads into Arthur trying to convince – this episode is full of bad decisions. And it upsets me because this is another bad decision on par with trying to trade your library card as currency for dessert. It's that Arthur wants to convince his little sister that her imaginary friend is sick, the imaginary friend that he doesn't believe in and that only she can see and can make up all the rules for. So what did you think was going to happen?
1: Yeah, it's very much like the giant spaghetti monster argument of once you make the logical leap that uh, something is unexplainable, you can continue to come up with arguments to explain it because it's already unexplainable. Yeah. Uh, I'm not doing a good job of making my point clear, but it's like you could always say, oh, how do you know there's not a teapot uh, circling the sun? You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's very hard to disprove that because Arthur already doesn't believe in the, let's yeah. say for this example,
0: teapot. Well, and the thing is is that the plan doesn't work because he never, she never believes him mm-hmm. because he immediately goes over, she's outside, she's she's parked in a lawn chair just waiting to go to, to the hurl world. And his, he says, does Nadine look funny to you? And kind of looks over her right shoulder and she says, that's a chair. Nadine's over there spinning. That's true. So she's already got the upper hand and Arthur is just doubling down on this nonsense.
1: Now, the show plays with this with the Nadine character a lot more later on. This is, of course, her introduction. But I wanted to ask you this right now. Yep. Do you think the implication is by the writers made on purpose – made unclear if Nadine is actually real or not. Yeah,
0: that's where magical realism will continue to come into the plot because it will always be ambiguous as to whether Nadine exists or not. There's evidence to both.
1: It's like DW says, there seems to be very specific rules for the way Nadine operates. Uh, Whenever she's on camera, she disappears before the other characters enter into the room, uh, and only DW can see her. So... I The re, the rules are so clear and stringent for an imaginary friend. Usually when there's a child's imaginary friend, it can kind of do everything under the sun mm-hmm. because it could do whatever the kid's imagination allows it. But just the simple fact of DW was like, that's not where Nadine is. Mm-hmm. She's over here. It lets me believe it's Nadine's probably real.
0: You could make the case either way. I'm more... I'm more... Well... I don't know what I believe.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're Nadine agnostic.
0: I am. I'm open to the possibility of Nadine existing. (laughs) Uh, Let's just say it that way. So Arthur convinces D.W. that Nadine has chicken pox and that she needs to stay home and D.W. should stay home with her. But, of course, D.W. goes inside and immediately says, nice try, and they go anyway. But then we invent this problem when they get there that Nadine was left back home by accident, and then that's where Arthur kind of erroneously admits – which is kind of weird now that I think about it, because Nadine, uh, D.W. doesn't want to go in without Nadine, and they have to they have to drive back for her, which as a parent would drive me nuts. Yeah, uh, Arthur's
1: dad's patience in this he scene is, vi- is really commendable. He is
0: very patient, and at times he can be a little too patient with D.W., which we can get into later in the series. Not here. Um Arthur says, of course, rationally, we can't go back now. We're already here. And anyway, Nadine's just pretend. And then DW says, if you think she's pretend, then why did you say that you could see her? And then he says, I lied. Which, wouldn't DW kind of put that together if she already knew that Nadine wasn't sick? Like, wouldn't she kind of be like, Arthur, you can't really see her. So it's kind of going back. It seems to be going back and forth a little bit of just like, it just—it doesn't feel consistent to me. Yeah, I—that's mm, true. I didn't
1: even put that together. Much like DW, uh, but oh, you got a point there.
0: I don't know. I don't really know what DW expects. I'm not. I'm just. It doesn't feel like they laid out the rules. Which, in one sense, it's like you don't have to lay out the rules. It's an imaginary friend, but. She's also kind of inserted into the show in non-imaginary ways so that you kind of have to have rules, which maybe they weren't prepared to do. I don't know. Her her dad comes up with the idea to just open the trunk and say, oh, hey, Nadine's here. And then, of course, problem solved.
1: Great line from Arthur.
0: Oh, Oh, aren't aren't we we lucky. lucky. (laughs) Real, dripping with sarcasm.
1: I want to believe that was like the 80th time the voice actor had to deliver that line. And this isn't a knock on it or anything, but it really has that feel of like, that actor was feeling that emotion of, oh, aren't we lucky?
0: Well, I think it's just a credit to Michael Yarmish as the voice of Arthur. Very, very good. Um, so, of course, Buster and Arthur get their tickets and they're ready to ride in the Hurley World. And I'm going to say this straight up I don't like roller coasters. Or any, like, this isn't really a roller coaster, but it's like a roller coaster-ish thing. I don't like them. You could not pay me to ride the Hurl the Whirl. The closest thing was, like, this do you, do you know what I mean when I say the spider? Is that like a tilt?
1: No, no, okay. I know what a spider is, yes. Yeah,
0: so I did that a couple of years ago at a local exhibition, and I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going to fall out and die. I thought I that that was the end of me. My girlfriend loves them. I do hate them so you have this role you have this whatever it is this amusement that has what is it Whirl. i, I know this Whirl, twirl blend whip and liquefy that's no right no way no
1: there's five speeds on this earth Whirl, twirl blend whip and liquefy uh and i'm not sure what's happening like is this all a front to turn them into to people People smoothies? Is that yeah, because, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, because these aren't these aren't words. Those are words, setting those are settings on your blender. Yeah, these aren't words I would use to describe speed per se. What is to say that blend is stronger than Some whirl are, or twirl? Uh, well, liquefy uh, is obviously the worst. If you're well, liquefying something, you're moving it when very we get fast. when we get like
0: whirl, twirl, and whip are kind of like movements. I understand, like I understand because they're kind of you know it's like it looks like a giant spider kind of in that there's there's pods on kind of the end of its arms and it can kind of move you in all kinds of ways as we see and then blend and liquefy also like just aren't measurements of speed or like movement so it doesn't kind of it doesn't really it's you're just, right it, it's it's kind just of odd. violent and gross it is and of course they finally get their barf bags which are kind of kind of gross looking
1: what's great about this is uh, the ride operator who also has Mr. Rapper's voice uh, he goes Here's your emotion sickness bags, which the boys immediately correct him. Barf, Barf bags! bags! And it's just so weird to me, this uh, this obsession with the act of vomiting. I get it. They, they're they looking for this thrill, but for some reason, it makes me very uncomfortable that they're, they're focusing on the vomiting aspect. When they get off the ride, okay, first of all, I'm hmm. going to go into this. Yep. The ride's got settings. Have you ever been no. on an amusement park Mm-mm. ride in your life never. where you were able to change the speed or the furiosity.
0: If I would, I would never get on or I would immediately get off. It just seems strange
1: and dangerous. Be very. Um, unpredictable. Unpredictable. Exactly. What if these what if one person's on liquefy and the other person's on another setting on and they're moving on different speeds and different planes and rotations and they bang into each other? Uh, it all seems very suspect. And so when they get off the ride, they're all excited, and there's implied puking, obviously, in a children's cartoon. They don't animate Buster and Arthur puking. Thank goodness. But it's very obvious. Their barf bags vomiting. are full. Their barf bags are full and they're kind of green. Like, they, yeah, they look uncomfortable, they're yeah. making weird noises, and Buster says, I'm going to take this home. No, he says, he says I, I, wish I, I wish I could take, take this, this home, home, but I think
0: my mom would freak. Then he gives it a kiss before he puts it in the garbage. So this is
1: what I was talking about earlier, where you're talking about they're associating the act of barfing with barfing with the thrill of the ride, Yes, but I think it goes deeper, because why would Buster want to take the barf bag home if the thrill is the thing he was excited on? Buster, it's just such a weird moment. Buster
0: has a weird kind of collector vibe to him. I don't, I don't want to call it kleptomania necessarily because that implies like stealing. Uh, but like with the fossil in the last episode, like True. he seems and like later on he has the kind of collection of stuff that he, he takes back from his dad, time with his dad, and he seems to be interested in collecting things and it's and he's kind of the one that is probably the most interested in like the gross side of things so like to keep a bag of his own barf in this uh, in this bag that's just so
1: gross though could you imagine let's paint a picture for a second what if buster didn't have the common sense to put the bag of barf in the garbage bag And he brought it home with him. It's the summertime. We established in the previous episode, let's pretend these are in chronological order for a moment, we just had a heat wave. You know what I mean? That barf would be stewing in his room in nothing but a paper bag. So anyway, this whole thing is
0: disgusting. And to note, and listeners, I apologize if this... I'm going to try to keep it as basic as possible. I'm just going to be talking about Barf for a second. Fast forward 30 seconds if you really don't want to hear this. When you throw up, generally... It's like, it can be all kinds of consistencies. They got enough to fill the bag. A paper bag. It's as thick as curry in there. It's true. The only time... Sorry. That's... I've been motion sick before.
1: I get get car sick very easily. Okay. Uh, But it's usually... Again, okay listeners, it's been 30 seconds, but just keep... We gotta... So much of this episode, if you watch this episode, it's not just us being obsessed with vomit here. They zoom in. There's hard zooms on the barf bags. Like, they really dwell on this a lot. And and the barf
0: bag is a picture of someone about to vomit. It's a bunny, like, turning green and vomiting.
1: And the word barf bag is said multiple times in this episode. We just got to touch on this, and then I'll get it out of my system. I'll never talk about it again, I promise. Vomit
0: it out of your system. But,
1: exactly. Mm. But when I've gotten motion sick, it's usually one and done. The only time in my life I've puked as much as Arthur and Buster is, like, alcohol-induced sickness, where it's just liquid
0: vomit. Oh, totally.
1: They could barely lift like, those or, barf or, or bags or like they're a, so full
0: or like a stomach bug and then eventually you, there's no food left and, and the
1: way it's animated is you could tell like the bottom of the bag it's it's, it's, it's star- but the barf is starting to like condensation through the bottom because it's a paper bag so you can see it's darker at the bottom it's carn kind is of starting to seep through all of this so bizarre just such as weird obsession with body fluids uh and it almost extends to the writers. I know. I understand now what you're saying. Where you were saying, like, "Oh, it's kind of the joke." Eight year old boys are disgusting and putrid, and they think boogers are hilarious. But it's just so weird to me that the writers picked. They could have talked about this whole episode about how the, the how excited uh, the boys were that they were going to be scared. Yeah. That that they're th- were going to be thrilled yeah. by this ride. But for some reason. They decided to really hone in on this whole body fluid thing. And I think it boils down to it's probably just the writers thought it was funny. They thought the word barf bag sure. is funny, which like, it, it pretty like, is. Like, like underpants. It's it, Exactly. Underpants, hilarious. Uh, and especially the way the voice actors deliver the lines, barf bags. They're, that into, is, it.
0: They're into it. That
1: is pretty funny. Yeah. But it's just so much lip service and visual gags are yeah. given to this barf bag thing. I just something about it was deeply disturbing added to the list of my neuroses uh the barf bags and arthur Definitely an addition
0: and car sickness. All right, that's it for barf. Uh, because after that, we get off the Hurl of Whirl, and Arthur has no more no more tickets for it. He only has green tickets for baby rides. He says, like the merry-go-round. So D.W. catches up with them, and she's got a, like a monkey that's as big as her that she's won from one of the games. So good for I'm guessing her parents, but good for whoever. I mean that's a that's a big that's a big win right there. So Francine wants to go on the Hurl of Whirl, but Arthur doesn't have any tickets, and D.W. wants to tell him something, but Arthur is frantic to get away because he assumes that D.W. will, you know, armbar her way onto the hurdle of the world and he doesn't, he doesn't want to. So he's just trying to really get Francine away and go on the merry-go-round even though she explicitly says she doesn't want to. And it, this is kind of where, like, Arthur really being a prime jerk to D, to D.W. because he's just trying to get away from her at all costs and really trying to insist upon it even though D.W. says it's important. And, you know, Francine says, what's the matter with you? And and then Arthur's like, all right, well, you'll see in a second. And it, and again, it's just like it kind of proves him to be a jerk, which he does kind of own, own up to because DW found orange tickets that he can use for the hurl-a-whirl on the ground. Uh, DW said, we should use them. But then Nadine said, give them to Arthur, which, of course, is basically as good as DW saying Right. It.
1: If you make the assumption, and as far as this episode's concerned, not looking at uh, episodes after this, it's pretty much implied in this particular episode that Nadine's a work of D.W.'s imagination purely. Mm-hmm. And so you can make the illogical assumption that by D.W. saying Nadine wanted to give Arthur those tickets, D.W.
0: Yeah. wanted to give Arthur and sh- those tickets. And Nadine really wants to be his friend. Arthur kind of realize realizes the error of his ways. He offers for D.W. to go on the Hurl-A-Whirl, and D.W. kind of backs off, but for the sake of Nadine, who thinks she might get scared. So Arthur and Francine will use the tickets to go on the Hurl-A-Whirl, and he promises D.W. that when they when they get off, he'll go on any ride that she wants, which, which ends up being the end of the episode, which is Arthur on the bumper cars being uh, sandwiched between bumper cars repeatedly uh, with D.W. and Nadine in one of them. So Arthur kind of gets his... D- d- just desserts there. You yeah, dessert.
1: suffer some neck
0: trauma. Yeah, really. That
1: whiplash is intense.
0: Yeah, you're not kidding. So that's the end of DW's Imaginary Friend. Uh, the episode that I had uh, did have, and now a word from us kids.
1: And now a word from us
0: kids. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if, I'm um, so um,
1: excited that we have a word from us kids this time. Oh, so you we did see watched that? watched it. Yeah, great, I watched great. it too. It's the first time since our first episode I've seen the words from us kids. Uh, And never have I felt dumber from a piece of children's programming. I guess it did its job. I learned something from this words from us kids, but I'll let you get into it
0: and I'll tell you why. Never felt dumber. Okay. So this one is basically asking the kids if they like to make up their own imaginary friend and use a a type of poem to basically like give. So
1: a sink, sinkan? Sink,
0: sink, I think they said syncane. That, that, that's that's how what they it pronounced is. It. A
1: sinkane. Uh And the kid explains what a syncane is. Yes. Uh, and I was trying really hard to pay attention to the kid's explanation, but I really can't wrap my head around it. There's a lot of. Uh, it's similar th- to I, in a haiku where the structure is extremely rigid and you have to have like a noun and a noun well, and an adjective. I, well, I actually
0: I wrote down one of the poems. And so it goes basically uh, a noun to describe the imaginary friend. Two basically two adjectives, three verbs, uh, makes me feel, and then the name of the the thing.
1: Uh, it might be because I'm dyslexic, sure, but uh, it probably isn't. But uh, yeah. one, I'd never heard of a syncane before.
0: I think I might have done one before, but not in, not having it been called a syncane poem. Uh,
1: and just like the explanation of the nouns and the verbs and the description, uh, it all went way over my head, and I was like, good for these kids.
0: You don't necessarily have a mind for that sort of thing. No, Of course, it's just, yeah, like me being an, uh, having a degree in English, it's just like this, this is a bit more my bag, I guess. It reminded me of, speaking of degree in English, when I was about these kids' age, uh, I want to say it was grade one, like I kind of had a problem with, I don't know how to explain it, but we had like several assignments in grade one that was just basically make up a three line story or poem or like kind of like a s kind of like what they're doing with a Sin cane poem, but just like describing something. And I did several of them where it was like for example, I did one about apes. And you know, I did a drawing of an ape because I really liked to draw when I was younger. But I wasn't so much into the writing, which is interesting because it's completely opposite now. And so I would draw the ape and spend a bit more time on that and my three poem thing would be Apes Are Cool. Very, very cool. Really, really cool.
1: Wow, that's that's Poignant.
0: And I would do that for other ones, like noun is cool, very, very cool, really, really cool. And then ev- a beat
1: behind that, and you got the next Atlanta trap hit.
0: <laughs> so eventually my parents and my teacher had to be like, this isn't what we're trying to get you to do. You, <laughs> you, 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 you can't do this. You take, you, kids, you're taking the easy way out. So I kind of realized after that. So they all kind of do their, poem, their poems, and uh, the one I wanted to highlight here was mainly – because of two things you know there's a there's a couple of kids in here and and again these these segments were not really judging critically at all this one just kind of made me laugh and also made me a little worried for yeah i don't want to make be.
1: fun of these kids no. uh i i actually think these kids are really creative especially yeah. how different each of their imaginary friends turn yeah out to they be. all
0: can they all kind of uh represent different things like some of them are real like friend types other them are a bit more out there uh, not to gender it, but it seems the, the the girls ones are a bit more of like you know being like an actual friend, and the boys ones are a little bit more like kind of comic booky though
1: before we get into the boys ones you, some of the girls ones are them being a friend in a weird way, for instance, one girl okay. talks about the Arthrosaurus. yes and the Arthrosaurus' special power is that if you get in trouble. The arthrosaurus will say it did the thing and get in trouble for you. It's literally like when rappers have their entourage and they have a buddy in the entourage whose only purpose is to hold the weed so that when the police like bust up your tour bus, that guy will catch the charge. And this is a common thing. It doesn't even have to be that specific crime. It's literally arthrosaurus will catch a charge for you. Mm. Do some time. Because that's how good of a friend he is. Arthrosaurus ain't no
0: snitch. I was thinking of the Yu Gi Oh card scapegoat, but I think yours is a lot better. <laughs> um Yeah. And I, I you know, kinda of giving it's like maybe this maybe this one's a little bit of a troublemaker that you would need an Arthrosaurus. So my favorite one I wrote down Verbatim, which was the one at the end, which is this kid, uh, one of the ones at the very end, which is the I'm not going to be able to place this And I think it's somewhere, I want to say it's somewhere in New York, maybe New Jersey, because I remember what this kid sounded like as soon as he started talking, and it's just, monster, killer smasher, helps, wrestles, slices, makes me feel slimy, and it's just like a... Like, it takes a hard turn because of course like th- this isn't necessarily an indicator of anything but it's just like man this kid like really went the complete other way of having a friend of just like when because when he gets like again like monster killer smasher and I'm like <laughs> whoa this kid is in the like he's he's a mafia kid
1: I also think though it's the the editors are portraying him that way sure. because if you put different they, music under yeah it, they
0: put spooky music
1: not it. only spooky music it's the kind of music that reminds me of when you're watching those stupid YouTube conspiracy videos and it's like <laughs> who put the bombs in building seven and they always have that weird it bass-y
0: was it was monster killer <laughs> smasher they
1: always put those weird bassy like songs behind it where it's like these licensed free mm-hmm. just generally uneasy music
0: where it's this bassy like mm, it's just the free masons and kind of like the just an ambient sort of tone
1: yeah, just yeah. This ambient, uneasy, bassy music that its only purpose is to elicit a negative reaction from yeah. you, and so they Une- really want to make unease. you. They want the the editors are really portraying this kid as unhinged. I think it's in reality, it's just like a little boy with a good imagination. But if they put some and like music behind it, it would have a completely different vibe. And
0: who maybe watches a bit too much Saturday morning cartoons or something?
1: Saturday morning cartoons, or maybe this kid watched Hellraiser. His picture of yeah. his imaginary friend. Oh. It looks just like a Cenobite from the Hellraiser
0: movies. Oh, I did not get a good look at it, and now I wish I did, because I love the Hellraiser. But, if man, I kid, wish I had.
1: If this kid has been watching Hellraiser way too young to be
0: seeing yeah, that, yeah. way which, too young. Which happens. It does happen. So, you know, uh, you know, your typical and now word from us kids. To bring us into our second episode, Arthur's Lost Library Book. So, of course, Arthur is the type of show that is very much... If it could be accused of any kind of agenda, it's definitely promoting literacy, which is great. You definitely want to do that, especially in children's programming. So the beginning of this episode is kind of propaganda for your local library in that Arthur's like, the library's got everything. It's where you can listen to music. There's story time for kids and, like, books on everything, which is absolutely true. The library's a great place. I endorse libraries of every kind. Uh, By the way, when Arthur goes by the music room, Mr. Haney is listening to his jiggity jam. (laughs) on those headphones he's feeling it he's getting down
1: mr haney's got some soul i'll tell you that much
0: i believe that i believe that
1: uh this whole theme of this episode uh well this opening where arthur's kind of singing the praises of the library it's very near and dear to my heart my mom's a librarian yeah uh and so i've heard this from arthur and i've also heard this from home about how great of a place libraries are please Don't cut public funding to libraries. I'm going to take a stance right here. Use this podcast as my uh, 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 soapbox, as it were. Please libraries are important.
0: I'm going to second you on that. Libraries are very important. They're a great space, not just for kids, but absolutely for kids. I loved to go to the library when I was young. I went to the library a lot when I was in high school. It's how I continued my love of comic books, and that's like DVDs, CDs, books of every kind. They
1: have video games now. Yeah. It's crazy. The new
0: library in the kind of main city of our province now has – now has video games. Like, I see kids there and they're playing Minecraft and, like, I roll a little tear and, like, this is what it was always meant to be. It's great. Like, I love libraries. I can talk about them all day. Arthur kind of goes by a couple of his friends who are reading specific books. Like, Francine, who's reading... She's reading up on sports scores to know how much better I am than everybody else.
1: Yeah, it's really dry reading because it seems like she's reading, like, it's I think
0: a, it's not even sports scores. She said she's reading a sports rule book. She's a re- sports rule book, that's it because she should be reading a score book if she wants to know how much better she is.
1: Well, she probably wouldn't even be published in that, right? Cuz it's professional sports. No, it's
0: like it's like the it's the 1996 equivalent of a Twitter vanity search.
1: It's it's very strange uh and if You've ever – I don't know if you've ever tried to learn a new sport by reading the Wikipedia page. I know I have. Uh, Sure. Me too, actually. it's it's extremely dry reading.
0: Uh, Australian rules football? Couldn't couldn't tell you.
1: Or even if you were trying to brush up on what does icing mean, it turns out, unless it's your buddy explaining it to you, the – textbook definition of icing very hard to sit
0: through without falling asleep (laughs) absolutely the whole crux of the episode is that Arthur loves it at the library because of course his name is Arthur Reed he loves books it's a big part of his character that comes to the forefront here which I think is better than his more negative uh, aspects like in the last episode there was a time he thought he might never be let into the library again So the story is that Arthur is – he's devouring books, which is is awesome to see for a kid's character. It reminds me of how I was when I was little because I loved Arthur so much and I loved reading. So I would go and read as many books as I could. I understood – the thrill in arthur's voice when he's when he goes up with a stack of books that's you know above his head so she says you're one under the limit and arthur's just says you mean i can take one more <laughs> which is so cool uh she says the new scare your pants off is in which is in a nice little uh frame and it's called the mysterious hand and it should mention also that this episode is kind of framed by a narrative which is accompanied by spooky music, and it has the mysterious hand kind of directing the action in chapters, like a book. And it's also so, got a
1: spooky voice too. Chapter one. Yeah, like,
0: chapter one. Arthur goes to the library. It's <laughs> like it's like it's the same way that I do my Bane voice, except except I, <laughs> I don't try and do Bane voice. I just cut my hand yeah. around my mouth like this.
1: Chapter one, they expect one of us in the record. Anyway,
0: um, <laughs> oh, I, do, do not get me started, <laughs> I could do that forever.
1: Uh, I, I really like, uh, and I can't speak to what other kids' shows run on in 1996, but I think so far in rewatching all these episodes, my favorite thing about Arthur has been how much they're willing to play with the episode format. Mm. It's never been just basic A plot, B plot, yeah, at least in every episode so far. They've played with linearity. They've played with uh, uh, who the narrator is. Mm-hmm. is. Is it an episode told in third person or is it an episode told in first person? Mm-hmm. And then this episode has a completely different format as well. It's got these chapter screens and this this ominous, untrustworthy narrator. Mm, uh, the mysterious hand. The mysterious hand itself is narrating this episode. And I just think it's so cool. I can't think of many other kids shows. It's much more popular in kids shows now, especially yes. ones with large ensemble. Yeah, wh- casts. yeah, ones
0: that aren't afraid to kind of break uh, narrative linearity or structure.
1: But in in 1996, I have to think this this was something I, at least with the shows I was watching at the time,
0: uh, very unique. It was definitely more colorful than, say, you know, your Mattel Mars bar. Chocobot Energy Hour or whatever uh-huh. the heck was Or even on.
1: when I would watch Pokemon. Pokemon's got, okay, we have an you know exactly. inciting incident. Okay, we have the rising action. And by the end of the episode, everything's going to be A-OK.
0: Halfway through, it's who's that Pokemon. At yeah. the end of the episode, it's the PokéRap. We're out of here.
1: But with Arthur, they play with the, the structure so much. And Keep you on your toes. Yeah, I, I really like that about this show. And it really keeps each episode feeling unique, mm. uh, which is my favorite part.
0: Scare your pants off is basically their analog for Goosebumps, which in the mid '90s was huge with the book series and the TV show. I watched the TV show a lot. I was mm-hmm. a big fan of the TV show. I've never read a Goosebumps book back to front, like front to back. It would always just kind of ne- never do it for me. So I, I, I think can't, I, I, can't I read why. a couple of the Choose Your Own Adventure ones. Yeah, yeah, those ones are a bit easier, but not to say that Goosebumps weren't easy. It's just kind of like. I just kind of lost interest in the way it was written.
1: With many things of the '90s, like Arthur, there's been a certain resurgence around Goosebumps lately. Where I have friends who they're so into this. Remember the '90s whole shtick that they've tried to collect the entire run of the Goosebumps books. That's a fool and that's
0: a fool's game. Right they there. have a, a certain no judgment.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, I but, but talk about scary music, the Goosebumps theme. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that that. Billboard came to life, and that dog had such scary eyes.
0: Yeah, that was a real hide-under-the-covers part as a kid. So, uh, yeah, scare your pants off, analog of Goosebumps. Arthur is the first to beat the crowd of kids who who obviously want to get their hands on it, and he's happy to be the first one who's ever opened it. And he manages to escape from the library unassailed, uh, with his uh, books precariously placed in his handlebars, a and mob of kids chasing him. Like yeah, big they, time. They they really get rowdy. Uh, Scare your pants off. Very popular, as we'll see. And uh, not not too uh, in in uh, not too much time either. Uh, Scare your pants off. Very popular among the kids. Uh, so Arthur's biking home, and he accidentally uh, the Scare Your Pants Off book act- like accidentally falls to the ground, and he misses it, and a mysterious hand picks it up. Except it's Binky. It's Binky. It's it's just Binky. Like, I'm going to get into this later, but <laughs> for right now, it's Binky. Like, you see the sleeve, and these kids never change their clothes, so it's Binky. It's just Binky. I'm going to see. This is another point where
1: I'm going to embarrass myself. Maybe I just wasn't playing as paying as close attention, <laughs> but <laughs> I had no idea who the hand was. My initial guess, and this is... Again, I'm really digging a hole for myself here. I was like, is that DW's hand? That's what I was wondering.
0: Well, she is involved in the crux of the episode, but as we'll get to, but no, it's uh, even as a kid, like I saw the hand with the orange collared wow. with the orange button shirt and just like I knew that was Binky. I think this but is But what... <laughs> that may be the point. As we'll get to later. So Arthur goes, you know, he has the books for two weeks. And he's kind of a, like, he's the type of reader that will, like, read something in one place and then leave the book there. Like, he leaves one book in the washing machine. He leaves another one in the treehouse. a, I mean, he's a real he's a real reader. And it kind of makes me miss when I was that into reading. It's harder for me to read now because I don't have the attention span for it anymore. So it's hard for me to sit down with there's, the like. Or
1: the time. I just don't have the time. No, it's like,
0: I do have the time. Uh-oh. It's just, like. There's a laptop open, there's video games, there's movies I could watch, and they're all just require less focused attention, which I guess is really difficult for me these days. It makes me miss being a reader.
1: Did you notice what book? Because the only, these books all kind of have blank covers, except mm. for the one that's in the laundry. Did you notice what book Arthur was reading that actually, he left in the laundry? Actually,
0: I didn't. What was it? Was it was
1: the French English Dictionary. Was it really? Yeah. It Whoa. says French English Dictionary, which again, much like a book full of sports rules, even more so, I would say,
0: very dry reading. By, by the letters. By the letters reading. That's <laughs> he's He just reads anything and everything. He, he is. <laughs> Much like how
1: Buster will eat anything and everything, Arthur will read it. There you go.
0: So uh, Buster inquires if the mysterious hand was any good, but uh, Arthur says he hasn't read it, and he'll start it immediately. But he can't find it, and uh, seems to be having trouble locating it.
1: Arthur's dad he goes to his dad because he's really distraught. He can't find the book anywhere. Mm -hmm. And Arthur's dad's in this kitchen and he says, well, I saw you bring all your stack of library books in. You didn't have the mysterious hand with you. Arthur's dad, a perceptive guy. Mm, Very observant. So at this point, Arthur can only assume that the book was either misplaced or stolen Mm. before he ever got it back to his
0: house. And so he says, I have to tell Buster and uh, another appearance of Pal with his red collar this time. So this is after... That trying period. And he says, wait, I can't tell Buster. He's a suspect. <laughs> Everybody's a suspect. And a great reaction shot from Pal, just goes, whoa. <laughs> like one of the, one of the stock Pal noises. So he decides to go to, a, to the person he know who wouldn't read that book or any book, who is Binky, who we've established before, is the person who took the book. But we'll get to that. And with, to which he... Absolutely accepts Arthur's claim that he would never read a book. As Arthur says, he doesn't even read the words in comic strips, to which Binky rebuts, if they were any good, they'd be on TV. I, I mean, he's got a point. In two, In 2016, he has a point. 1996, not so much. <laughs> 20 years later, he's absolutely right. Because you take you take a look at a lot of movies and TV shows are based on literary whatever. Mm-hmm. So he's not wrong. In that, well, he kind of is, but he's also got more of a point now than he ever had. Uh, so he, Arthur says they have to narrow down the suspects. So this is the beginning of
1: chapter three. Uh, and unlike the previous two chapters of this story, it's got a cool little dragnet logo that Pri- spins around. Private eye. Private eye. And this whole – from this point on, this uh, episode becomes another mystery episode. Mm-hmm. It's very similar than, to when Arthur and Buster were trying to tail Mr. Rappern. Uh, I get the feeling that this show's writers were big fans – uh, of kind of noir or hard-boiled mystery cliches because they employ them a lot and they'll they'll drop them in Arthur episodes, not even basing whole episodes on them, but they use that imagery and that kind of storytelling quite a bit.
0: Well, I was going to say that uh, the point I have here is that this episode, as you say, it, it goes against type because it has all of the trappings of a detective procedural. It's basically law and order for kids because it follows a lot of the same beats. Like, not to, uh, obviously getting into spoilers for the episode if you've not watched it, but, you know, you get kind of the red herring of, you know, Binky set up as the last person it could be. You talk to all the suspects. Each of them looks more suspicious one after the other. But none of them are
1: it. A guy working on machinery going. I don't got time to talk to you. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, that whole law and order by the book, sure. Color by numbers kind of writing. It's
0: more than it's more of the detective part of law and order, and then of course it ends up being the last person that Arthur thought it could be. Anyway, like I want to get into a point about the whole thing, of the the ending of this a bit later, but yeah, it's it's it is kind of like a detective procedural for kids. So
1: especially when they're looking over suspects, I love the little details here where they're in the diner. I think it's the Sugar Bowl, correct? Yeah, it is Sugar Bowl. They're in the Sugar Bowl. Arthur's got his sleeves rolled up. Yeah, yeah. It's It's, a great image.
0: Yeah, it's like he's been working on it for a long time. Like like he's been burning cigarettes at both ends.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Like he's been on the case, nose to the grindstone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's implied, I I don't think these kids drink coffee, so I bet they have hot chocolates in front of them. But I love the image.
0: It's probably Milkshakes.
1: Uh, it was, like, warm in a mug. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's sorry. neither here that. nor there. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, they're sitting in this diner. Arthur's got his sleeves rolled up, and they got the suspects, uh, 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 a lineup, basically, all these drawings of the final three people who it could conceivably which, which be. Which is the
0: first time we get the full name of Sue Ellen Armstrong. So that's, so that's kind of... And she is kind of introduced as a character uh, rather than just kind of in the background here. So it's Muffy, Francine, and Sue Ellen and everybody that Binky talked to ran away very suspicious. So Arthur decides to interrogate as it were Sue Ellen. They're in art class and they and he paints a portrait of the mysterious hand. She says, "That looks like the mysterious hand." I just finished reading it and produces it and Arthur goes, "I should have known it was you." And they struggle for it a little bit before Sue Ellen admits that she had to buy the book because Arthur had the library's only copy. That proves fruitless and they continue on through their investigation.
1: We see the difference between Arthur's uh, interrogation style and Binky's interrogation style, where he's basically backed George into a corner, and he says to George, "Uh, I know you have it. Where is it? He's very angry, and he's he's intimidating him. Intimidation. Uh, It's very good cop, bad cop, except just the bad cop. Yeah. And uh, eventually, Arthur distracts Binky. George runs away, and he says, Binky, you have to tell them what you're looking for. And he goes, if they have it, they'll know. Which, again, Binky has got a point. He does. If they are guilty, they'll fess up.
0: It's true. Uh, so he, so he's kind of halfway there in a sense. Uh, Buster appears, and he's not happy that Arthur thinks that he took the mysterious hand because he says that you probably lost it, which is a common thing of people who are accused that Arthur accuses because they, they just think that he was careless and lost it because obviously none of them have it. And uh, Arthur says that didn't happen either. And then Buster, of course, leaps to the logical point that maybe giant mutant mole people took it.
1: Buster's asides are always so fun. Again, it's like Muffy. Whenever the writers get a, uh, an opportunity to put a little fun Buster line and imagery in there, they will. And the giant mutant mole people didn't disappoint.
0: Yeah, I, well, I, I I questioned kind of the, the necessity of putting in that five-second gag of padding down to them <laughs> and them saying, I don't have it. You got it? Nope. And I was like, well, that was five seconds. (laughs)
1: Um, Also, Buster, he makes kind of the logical leak. It's Occam's Razor style. Oh, Arthur, you probably lost it. That is the most Most likely logical explanation. explanation. And to
0: be fair, he did. Like, It's not that somebody took it. It's that Arthur lost it, and then somebody... Happened to make off with it.
1: But it also says something about Buster when he thinks about it for a second longer and then goes, or it could be this incredible thing. Yes.
0: So then we get into kind of the end game of the episode, which is this intense dream, this intense nightmare that Arthur is put through because of this anxiety about losing the book. Chapter four, it's lost. Okay, you lost it. Yeah, face it. And uh Arthur is stuck in a nightmare which begins with him in his house which has huge like everything is comically large and he opens the window and there are spirits saying we know you're in there and I'm like okay what kind of dream are we in here <laughs> like it's it doesn't re- it's it's actually pretty cre- effectively creepy and because the rest of it has to do with, like, I don't know why there were ghosts looking for him. Because the, <laughs> because the rest of it has to do with, like, the actual police. So Arthur is hidden up in his house. The police are outside of his house with helicopters, squad cars, everything. And they say, throw out the book gently, son, and no one will get hurt. And I absolutely love this. You can't escape the long arm of the law. Arthur's kind of boarded up against the door. And try and like trying to hold it closed, and then he runs away. Door bursts open, and a literal never-ending arm just comes out and grabs him. And I remember as a kid thinking this was kind of clever because, like, I understood what you mean by long, long arm, arm of the law. and it's just like it's literally a long arm that belongs to the law. And I was like, that's kind of funny. Like, that's kind of clever. Kids who may not know that that uh, that turn of phrase.
1: I joke about Arthur warning us about the authoritarian nightmare that is 2016, <laughs> but, I mean, looking back on it, it's kind of crazy now. I, I mean, this might be a little too serious, but to think it's a very real nightmare to be threatened with violence from the police mm-hmm. for having a library or a, book or, or losing a or library least, book. Or at
0: least violent, unwanted seizure, uh, which is basically it.
1: I mean, you talk about like the ghost being the scary part of this, which... It truly is. It's just uh, those to me.
0: Those are scary just because they don't seem to belong, and it just kind of creates a dissonance that I find very strange. But go on.
1: That's absolutely true. But also to me, like in the context of 2016, it is horrifying that the police would surround Arthur's house and. threatened to break down the door and then one of the police officers stretches out his arm Michael Jordan in space jam style
0: <laughs> twisting through Arthur's house that's a horrifying image and and the, and the thing is is that like well if this is following reality at all if in any part Arthur doesn't have the book so he, he there's nothing he can do so the the long arm of the law drags him all the way back to the library where Miss Turner says we have special rules for little boys who lose library books. I'm like, all right. Well, does this happen a lot? Is there precedent? Is there legal precedent for this? Does Arthur need representation here? Uh, kind of. Then it goes into the second part of the dream where they have to, you know, switch costumes. I guess <laughs> in in Arthur's dream, and this, this one I kind of find more funny than anything because it, just because of how how much sense it doesn't make. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it's a dream, so go figure. Uh, Arthur's mom and dad follow a chain that is going up to Arthur's bedroom. And they find Arthur reading in bed, and they say, well, what's this? And... Great read here by Mark- Michael Yarmush, Arthur's voice actor, because he is on the verge of tears reading with his leg in a shackle. Or was it his – maybe in his arm. Uh, and he says, it's how I have to check out library books now. And, like, he is – like, he has just been crying. And then all of a sudden he's yanked out of bed back to the library and this chain is it's, on a- – So the chain's attached to the book. The cha- so that oh, that yes, makes this yes, extra okay. not
1: make That's sense. It. Because it's like, can he only ever check out this one book that's chained to this giant crank? Anyway, continue.
0: And so, yeah, and so it's it's cranked back again by Miss Turner. Like Arthur's in his pajamas, and apparently the middle of the night is time to give the book back. <laughs> and twelve o'clock and sharp. And Mister and Miss Turner gives a-, oh. <laughs> that's a fantastic line. Next time, don't make me use the crank. See,
1: why I think I thought this was more horrifying and not as funny as you <laughs> sure. was because I, I didn't really remember this part, so I wasn't sure, is is Arthur going to go into the grinder? Is that how this ends? If she kept cranking, what would happen? Now, it becomes clear, okay, it's not like a, a grinder no, or anything. It's not it's just, nearly that grisly. Yeah, it's not that grisly. Though still, some real bizarre imagery here. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever in my life thought of okay like chains attached to a person that makes sense that's been in all kinds of pop culture stuff but a book chained to a crank and then there's like a giant librarian and she cranks it it's all very original and unique much
0: applause to the writers for making for making this up like it is very outrageous in a dream sense and i think that that's really good so arthur wakes up he's obviously very distressed by this and kind of admits to himself that he did lose the book so his parents you know parents agree it's like you'll have to pay for the book arthur it's like fifteen. It's fifteen dollars, which to a kid is a lot, and he measures it in the way that I did because I I, I love this. Uh, fifteen dollars—that's three action figures, which back in the nineties was absolutely true. I was going to ask because I could, get, ask, cause I, I, didn't... could get, I could get three Beast like. Okay, so there are types of action figures that you can get, like Beast Wars were the ones that I would get a lot, and some of the Beast Wars that were like bigger would cost you like. Twenty to thirty, which to me was a lot of money. Like I didn't even get an allowance at this time, or if I did, it was a loony. But you could get smaller ones that were about five dollars a piece. So if you had fifteen dollars, that was worth three. Kind of okay action figures, so do you his think that's still totally true? checks up. No, okay, oh my I was gonna say goodness, no. I
1: never really was an action figure kid back in the day. If I did have ones, they were transformers, but I didn't really remember how much they cost. So I was thinking about it. I looked online, transformers are really expensive, yes. Uh, and I do the one transformer I remember how much it cost was one Christmas I got the 20th anniversary Optimus Prime, oh. so it's the re release of the original, but it's like way more uh, detailed and it's made of die cast metal, yeah. That baby. Will run you a hundred bucks. Holy hundred dollar transformer! It was my prized possession. When well, I, was I hope so. Uh, oh, and I goodness. still have it somewhere. But yes, five dollars. It was not.
0: Sheesh! Uh, you're not kidding. Arthur goes back to the library in defeat, admitting that he lost the book and he'll have to pay for it. But Miss Turner says it's not lost. There it is. That boy just returned it and points to Binky, who's leaving the library. So Arthur says, "Binky, you found it. Who had it?" And Binky's. Uh, initially coy and he says a boy from school and Arthur says which boy and then Binky eventually cops to it and says me so you remember earlier when we were talking about this episode and I said it's obviously Binky because you can see his sleeve now originally when I was watching it I thought well maybe like I don't see why they had to do that maybe they just had to keep him on model or something I don't know but because this is a this episode has been basically a detective procedural for kids but kids aren't used to the detective formula; they haven't seen like they haven't seen as many episodes of Law and Order as you and I have. So we know kind of oh this is going to be the red herring. Yeah. This guy looks like it's going to be him, but it's actually this guy from earlier in the episode who looks totally innocent. They're not used to those kinds of tropes.
1: The part where Ice T comes in and he says, "Put you an orange, jump through thin you off the Rikers. Right, right. The kids <laughs> don't know about that. No,
0: they're abs- absolutely. So maybe them showing Binky's hand along with his shirt was their way of keeping the kids ahead of the characters so that when the result came in of, yeah, it was Binky, then they'd be like, I knew that, <laughs> which, is, which is what you say when it's just like, I knew that guy killed that guy in Law and Order. So they could be like, yeah, so they could get the same level of satisfaction without knowing the tropes. So maybe they were actually, like the writers were totally writing for their audience. Maybe this was a lot smarter than I gave it credit for. I
1: think you are you totally 110% have a valid point. I think that's actually probably the mentality of the writers. But mm-hmm. it also is kind of funny because I missed it completely. I yeah. had no idea who it was. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of played the the role of the audience is supposed to play here if they don't know it's Binky, where I was like trying to put it together in my own head. I was like, where did this book go? Because I had vaguely remembered this episode, but I did not remember who was the person who took the book. Uh, so... I, I didn't put it together. That it was I think by the very end, once they were like interviewing people and it wasn't any of the people that they interviewed, I was like, oh, you know what? Basic storytelling. Like it's got to be the person yeah. that it would be most less likely to be. Yeah. That would be Binky. So I did put it together eventually with my adult brain. Sure. But I didn't pick up on the clues they had left for the kids.
0: So, uh, I mean, hey, if you've ever written for Arthur, email us. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Let us know if that's how you intended that story. Why are
1: channel. you so obsessed with barf? <laughs>
0: <laughs> binky just tells the side of the story which is relatively simple it's just arthur dropped the book he picked it up and then binky actually started getting into reading that book which he's not really want to do he's not much of a reader and he and he he adequately surmises just like i figured i figured it wasn't yours because you'd never let a leave a library book on the ground then arthur you know is kind of like well why didn't you say anything and then binky says i didn't want you to laugh at me and then Arthur said, "I would never laugh at you." Binky says, "You just did," which is true. When Binky initially admitted to re- to taking the book, Arthur s- laughed and said, "Very funny," because it's the last thing that he would ever think was the idea have of
1: Binky reading a book was so laughable to Arthur that he literally laughed out loud.
0: Which, which is again, kind of Arthur being a jerk, but also in more of a general way. Like I feel like that would be some a trap that a lot of people would fall into. So
1: mm-hmm. as I kind of did sure. <laughs> watching this episode.
0: Sure. Given, uh, his, given his kind of character, uh, because Binky has because Binky feels he has a reputation to uphold, so he don't spread it around that I'm reading books or else. So he wants to keep his tough guy image that he doesn't read or anything like that.
1: Binky in this episode is so great. The way they mm. walk that tightrope of, you know, Binky – it depends on what they need him for from episode to episode. Sometimes they just need Binky him to play, be
0: a, Binky. A, Binky like D.W. plays a lot of roles and ends up being a, a pretty and Francine uh, and ends up playing a lot of roles and ends up being a more developed character in the end because of it.
1: Absolutely, and I think even in this this episode here, already Excuse Binky me. is uh, has way more depth to him than say a Muffy has so far. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen him be this kind of bully. And we've also seen the implication is that Binky's kind of less intelligent than the yes. other kids. Less book smart would be the nice way of putting sure. it. He's yeah. certainly street smart, I think. The thing about Binky is like his arc is really interesting in this episode because Binky sort of is in the right the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he also learns something in that he actually kind of does like reading. And then you realize maybe it's less so that Binky's unintelligent and that's why he doesn't read. But it's more so Binky's kind of puts on this tough guy image uh, and he's playing a character, so to speak, to all the other kids. And I just think it's all really interesting because we're talking about a guy who doesn't actually have a lot of screen time in this episode, yeah. and they use what they have so much to flesh out Binky and make him more than just a mm-hmm. bully.
0: Which is which his newfound love of reading appears as a character trait uh, later that he constantly has to kind of hide mm-hmm. to keep up that tough guy exterior. So then finally, Arthur... Uh, asks, since I didn't really read that book can I check it out again? And of course he's left to the mile long waiting lists which having to wait for the newest season of True Blood on DVD at the library and being like 110th (laughs) in line. I know all about long waiting lists. My girlfriend just
1: started watching True
0: Blood. Well, good luck to her. That gets better before it gets worse. And then so Arthur's kind of left with that. And then finally we wrap up the framing device, which is just DW with a mysterious hand glove and using a cardboard toilet paper roll to kind of – extend her voice a little bit the deep, second deep in
1: twist voice. in this episode that wasn't really a twist because if you recognize DW's voice at all it's immediately oh, it's, apparent totally uh, at the first title card chapter one it's like oh that's DW that's putting DW. on a voice yeah. but it's still a fun little reveal at the end we've had this sure. format with the actual mysterious hand to see DW there in front of the the light making it all dramatic and mm. it's just a fun little uh, touch I loved that
0: so there you go it's Arthur's lost library book alright looking back at this uh, particular episode of Arthur uh what do you think of them?
1: So it's interesting. I think this episode had the first sort of story that I didn't like. Imaginary Friend yes. I found really bland. Uh, not only did I find it bland, but I also just found that it was hard to get invested in it because Arthur was kind of in the wrong the whole time. Yes. And also D.W. was acting completely illogical from our adult perspective.
0: I found – yes, I agree with you. I found a lot of the stuff in the episode kind of didn't add up to each other. And like you said, it kind of took you out of it. Uh, the animation – Wasn't like I, I mean I don't want to criticize animators too much. Like it's not that it looked like god awful or something, but there's a clear breadth in quality between the first and the second, and I feel like the first one kind of lacked a little bit. Uh, Almost looked like the 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 people behind the very like uh, Arthur's teacher trouble kind of looked similar to that one, and that it was basic, not outstanding, uh, as we've seen episodes. Can be at points. Um, yeah, I, it, it did not really click with me at all. Just kind of never really keeping its own rules consistent. And, uh, yeah. It, also, it, just it, a little it, it, boring. It, to, yeah, I, I it, just it,
1: found it a little, like, the rise, because the rising action was so inconsequential, yeah. like, I was like, oh, worst case scenario... Arthur's going to get made fun of or he's not going to go to this park. Like, I wasn't invested in any of it. And so it all kind of just washed over me.
0: The stakes were very low. Especially
1: compared to the double whammy we experienced last episode, the fanciful dino cops and the like. That was such back-to-back weirdness and excitement Mm -hmm. that we're back to this kind of kids drama, which Arthur, hey, I'll give him credit. That's really what it is. Yeah, but but it's
0: a bit more ho-hum compared Mm -hmm. to the other ones. And like and like you say, like Arthur's never really in the rights, D.W. doesn't make a lot of sense either, so it's kind of hard to get yourself invested in the story. And uh, yeah, it just never it never clicked for me. So this is kind of the first one that I got to say like I'm not really not really into uh, Arthur's Lost Library book, though. I really enjoyed that one. And you know, you talk about kind of the motivations, you know, Arthur's kind of feelings on the matter in Imaginary Friend not really making sense, like the. The conclusions he jumps to doesn't make sense. This one, they totally set it up of like, yeah, it's still pretty low stakes and that like, oh, he'll have to pay $15 to replace a lost library book. But that means a lot to his character. Like he, he doesn't – he likes to treat books well. He loves reading. And as I said, $15, three action figures. That's a lot of money for a kid. So, like there, me, so there seems to be more stakes to it. And like me,
1: he's got a deep-seated fear of – SWAT team home invasion of
0: authority. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you looked really jazzed to say something. Oh, like, no, it's just
1: that off. I loved this episode. I really liked Arthur's Lost Library. I never thought of it until you mentioned it, but it really is kids first law and order. And I think that's a great concept. I love it when Arthur plays with genres, mm. uh, and plays with different kinds of themes and sort of story archetypes, but also just like you said, the, motivations in this episode and the characterizations in this episode was fantastic. The two central characters, Arthur and Binky, are really well fleshed out. Their motivations are clear throughout. And so it allows you to get invested in the action that's going on Mm in the story. And plus the chapter card stuff was so funny. I I, I loved D.W.'s voice, her little put-on voice and the titles. Chapter 4 it's Lost Okay.
0: Face it, you lost
1: That got a hearty chuckle from me. (laughs) So... Thumbs down to uh, imaginary friend. Thumbs up to Arthur's lost library book. I agree,
0: and Arthur's lost library book. I really like it when the show has kind of its literary theme is front and center. And uh, uh, no, I agree. I agree with you completely. And this is this this is the first uh, one, uh, kind of one thumb up, one thumb down. So we'll have to see where it goes from here. Uh, that is this episode of Arthur. Uh, for this episode of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. I uh, I would love to hear your thoughts on any Arthur episode that we review, so please send them in. Again, the uh, the podcast email is elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and uh, keep that feedback coming. I hope you're enjoying this uh, journey through Arthur as much as I do. I need to... I need to start getting the name of the next episode we're going to do so we can kind of prime that. So, unfortunately, I don't remember what the next one's going to be, but we will be uh, watching it, and we will be uh, coming at you next time. So, Lucas, any final thoughts before we say goodbye?
1: Next time, uh, don't make me use the crank.
0: I just love it because it sounds so weird and like <laughs> dirty when it's just like especially when you take it out of the context of her using an actual crank of like ew don't make mm. me use the crank
1: yeah, don't make me use that Jason State, the movie I'm kidding that would be a great punishment I'd watch that movie all day long <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>, bye everybody
0: uh, <laughs> uh, it's weird misogyny and, and that oh. it's, it's yeah
1: the crank the crank podcast is for another time yeah
0: maybe and you might have to find different co-hosts for that one. <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you figure that out but for Lucas Mancini I'm Will Young. Thank you for listening to the Elwood City Limits podcast, and we'll see you next time.